Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Poos Benson, the host of the podcast. It is great to be with you on a beautiful November afternoon. I am sitting down here in the church's basement at Columbine United Church in our brand new recording studio. Very excited about this recording studio. Thank you, Columbine United Church, for uh, helping me sponsor this podcast and pull it off. But I am not down here by myself today. I am with a good friend, a mentor, a church member, and a visionary Matt Matson. Matt, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Steve. This podcast space is uh, special. It's no longer a basement room. It looks cool. It's yeah. got like soundproof stuff on the wall. This <laughs> yeah. is the place to be. Yeah, you know, I really want people uh well, if you hear this podcast, to come down and take a look at this on a Sunday morning because it's really cool. We have video recording equipment, lighting, a full setup for a podcast. So very excited. It's very cool. All right. The reason why I wanted to invite Matt here today, one, is because talking with Matt is always a lot of fun. We kind of get going on tangents on, on things. We never really know exactly where we're going to go. But I have an idea. Matt has started two things uh lately, the past year, that are really significant. One is called Today I Pray For You, which is on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have Matt talk about Today I Pray For You. And then most recently, uh, he and three of us, Columbine, Grace Presbyterian Church, and New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, are joining together in an effort to, to create a virtual ministry, a virtual church called Between. All are cutting edge, really exciting, theological, as well as a visual, graphic, audio things that I want to talk about. But they're, um, in that they're cutting edge, what makes them really exciting is if you go back and you learn a little about who Matt is and who's, what Matt's theology is and how he got from the place where he called himself a vanilla Methodist <laughs> when he was growing up. I thought that was funny. Where he is today, which would you call yourself a universal progressive? What kind of label would you use to describe yourself today? Yeah, it's funny. I strung together like 30 words to try to <laughs> describe what category I don't fit in. Uh, but yeah, I think I think universal progressive uh, interfaith. Uh, I'm, I, I, you know this about me that I I believe that the space between people is sacred. I've said to you before. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think this is where God lives in this space between you and me, and I think we have a chance to connect with the way I understand God, and honestly, the way you understand God, which are decidedly and by definition different. Uh -huh. uh, I think we can both somehow connect with what our deepest beliefs in this space, this space between us, and yeah, so. Yeah, I guess universal, progressive, something or another sounds about Some, right. Okay. Yeah. Now, that's who you are now. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 40, almost 45. Okay, so you're 45. Yeah. So I want to know the journey of going from a vanilla Methodist yeah. to where we are today. Take some time and unpack that. Yeah, I, I, I may need help unpacking it because – and we can use this as a real pastoring session if, if, <laughs> if, if you will, but – I feel like it's a boring story. and There's no such thing as a boring story. But that part of the boringness, the, the boringness that I feel in the story, is what inspires me today to seek faith in different ways, I guess, than what I experienced for most of my life. I, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in a small town in Michigan, about 5,000 people. And uh, you just you went to church. Uh, I mean— 
it wasn't that important. It wasn't that big of a it's deal in my house. Did. It's just my, what my family did. It wasn't, I didn't really get a sense it was really that important to them. In fact, I know my dad was never real passionate about it. He, uh, my dad said to me once, uh, this is his story, not mine to tell, but he, I remember him saying to me once when he was a kid, like he went to a church and they, they made him get baptized. And he just didn't think that was right, that a kid should have to get baptized. He just didn't think that was right. And that was like a little formative moment for me that, that always just sort of stuck with me. Yeah. And that was a different church than, than we went to. We went to a, a really nice, really sort of plain, I don't know another way to say it, sort of small town Methodist church. It was... Faith United Methodist Church. I the, imagine a brick building. A brick building. Kind of spire in hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Wooden pews. Yep. Center all, aisle. All of it. All of that. Stained glass windows on the side. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very predictable. Very and, and on a beautiful plot of land. And, but like really humble. Really just sort of nice is the only uh, word I can use to describe uh, it. Right. And and I remember the pastor there. I, I remember we would go to his house for things sometimes, like for outdoor things. His, he had a kid a little older than me, and he was a nice guy. But Sunday services, when I would actually go, up, I'd go to Sunday school, and that was never anything to me. That was like kid stuff that I just didn't connect with. I remember like then going to the choir room when I was maybe in middle school or something like that, and there was other classes, but it was so boring. It was so boring to me. But it wasn't nearly as boring as when I went upstairs to the big Sunday service. And I, I just remember being like, what? Poor kids. Kids have got I mean it. Yeah. I think boring shouldn't be a part of faith. Like, like this at, at my age now, I've come to realize, no, this is like one of the most exciting, like fascinating things to dive into with a person. And uh, these kids get just bored out of their minds. I th- and I did. And, and so I became uninspired. The only other real childhood uh, sort of religious institution experience I had was when I was in high school. Uh, I had a girlfriend for a really long time. We were we ended up being together for like nine years. Like it was a big important relationship in my life. And by the time I was probably a sophomore, she was Catholic. So it was basically half our town went to one Catholic church, and then the rest of our town went to a bunch of little sort of vanilla mainline churches. And there was a couple. There's a couple other maybe uh, further right, further sort of uh, conservative evangelical churches, but they were all small and kind of small towny, right? Uh, but this Catholic church had mass, and especially mass on Saturday afternoon when it was convenient for families. And I would go with my girlfriend to mass, and I actually loved the ritual of of a Catholic mass. I, mean, I just I, I became just absolutely fascinated by the kneeling and the standing and the I couldn't take communion because I wasn't Catholic. But then the holy water on the way in, like why do people put their hand in the bucket? And like what's going on? And I just I remember uh, I remember that so vividly. But it wasn't my church. It was because I was a guest. It was like I was uh, an outsider who just came every once in a while with my right. girlfriend and enjoyed the show. But I didn't enjoy the show. It was also incredibly boring. The only thing that was fascinating <laughs> to me was the ritual and sort of the, you know, the that part of it. But the priest there, I mean, I cannot imagine a more dry, boring voice coming out of a human being. And I'm sure he's a wonderful man, but my Lord, it was just. And so the only thing I knew of spirituality I, I mean it, it when until i was in college the only thing i knew of spirituality was boring for adults and for adults who must be sad because they go to that boring place every sunday and i just didn't get it i really didn't get it i really believe the greatest sin that clergy make 
is they make the gospel boring. Yeah. If you're making the gospel boring as a preacher, as a pastor, you have no business being a preacher or a pastor. Yeah. yeah if you're going to make it boring, get the hell out. You have yeah. no business. And, and now, I, I mean, I, I the the layered history and the context of Scripture and where these stories come from and the the, the fact that they're all about people losing land and people getting – like the Old Testament is all like just battles and blood. slavery and blood and exile Slowly and return and, and vengeance. Yeah, all that stuff. It, like that is sexy stuff, man. Like that is stuff that people should be fascinated by. But that is not how it was presented to me when I was uh-huh. a kid. Yeah. So keep on. So you get into college. Yeah, I get into college – where do you is, go to school? I went to Grand Valley State University, home of the Lakers, where all your dreams come true. In beautiful Allendale, Michigan. <laughs> I was a tour guide. I was a really good tour guide. Uh, uh, so Grand Valley is a is, is somewhat is it interesting. a Christian college. It is not. It is a state school, uh, but it is in West Michigan. It is where Calvin. It's next door to Calvin College. It's oh, yeah, it is a Dutch Reformed Calvinist. A very conservative pocket in Michigan, yeah. um, uh, and a really interesting place. But Grand Valley wasn't really that way. Grand Valley, I didn't in college. Christianity was not a. It wasn't really even a touchstone for me. Inter- I can't even think of a meaningful Christian moment I had in college. But there were. <laughs> this is embarrassing to say, but there are people my age who will relate to it. I think. Do you remember those books by, I think his name is James Redfield, The Celestine Prophecy? Of course I remember The Celestine Prophecy. I read that book when I was a freshman. By the way, don't make me feel old. Well, (laughs) that book's dated. It's been in my basement. It's covered with dust now for a while. I read that book when I was a freshman, Steve. I like, I was like, what, what, what? Like, I was like, what is this sort of new spiritual, new wave, new age? I, I didn't even know what it was, but that book was like, for, so for a while in my freshman year of college, that was my religion was like, maybe this is it. like, I wanted meaning. I wanted, I wanted to dig. I wanted to, I wanted to understand this sense of spirituality that I had, but I didn't have anybody around me who was pushing it. I didn't have anybody around me who uh, would talk to me that way or who had, you know, I, I probably would have been really vulnerable to anybody to recruit me into whatever religion I, I, they happened to have to, to sell. And I just, I just didn't really encounter it much. The only other thing that I encountered in college that was a big spiritual formation moment was a, a course where we studied Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, this is the story of, you know, 50% of every college college student, I'm sure. Right. But like, as soon as I got into Buddhism in college, I was, I was hooked, man. I, yeah. I wanted to go to Tibet. I was, yeah. uh, I still, like anytime the Dalai Lama comes to town, I'm trying to get tickets, like, yeah. like sign me up for that. And there yeah. was a, there was also a, when I discovered people could be Buddhist and Christian, that mm-hmm. was like a mind opening thing for me mm-hmm. in college. I remember mm-hmm. sort of encountering that idea, like, oh, mm-hmm. you don't have to pick a team, mm-hmm. uh, or you can choose to you can choose your 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 spiritual identity. You don't have to go into a bucket that's already mm-hmm. made for you. That was uh, I didn't. I'm not sure I could verbally have uh, you know talked about it then, or I didn't consciously understand that's what mm-hmm. I was encountering, but. Man, I remember I remember specific spots on campus reading reading Buddhist texts and and just like feeling opportunity, I think for me. It wasn't like I knew oh, I was Buddhist for sure. It was just like, oh, this is there are other options and there are ways to explore faith. There are ways to dig in and 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 
learn, I think, I think is really what I was encountering, uh, really learning, spiritually learning for the first time in my life. And so it sparked a curiosity. It did, yeah. You know, there's something going on. There's yeah. something big. So that was kind of like the thing that was breaking you out of that yeah. vanilla Methodism. Yeah. So it was freeing because, you know, a lot of times I've been interviewing people lately, and they talk about this on the one hand, freeing, mm-hmm. but then they're kind of anxious mm-hmm. that they're leaving behind what they grew up with, what they knew to be true, what their parents believed, what their community believed, and yet they're kind of going, I can't wait to explore this other thing. Did you ever feel any of that anxiety from leaving this, the past? You know, I, I don't – faith – identity wasn't really a part of my identity and mm-hmm. so I didn't feel like I was losing anything then no I think I think honestly my answer is no and this is you know in some of the work that I'm doing right now I'm having a lot of conversations with people who sort of live in the deconstruction community right. the evangelical community right. right and folks who have been just really hold on my phone's going off it's a spam I forgot <laughs> to put my phone stop Sorry, Matt. <laughs> We're not taking this from the top. We are 10 minutes, 15 minutes into this. We're going in. <laughs> Sorry. God is calling, Steve. Uh, yeah. Actually, that was spam. Mm-hmm. Spam. That was yeah. spam. Okay, where were you? I, I don't know where I was. I was... Oh, I, I've been talking with a lot of people in the evangelical community. And oh, a lot of people right, experiencing right. deconstruction. And and I, I'm so struck by the amount of people who just have real real trauma. Uh, I've got friends close to me too that I'm uncovering in new ways like the trauma that mm-hmm. they have that maybe they don't even talk about that way mm-hmm. but there's just hurt. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff didn't come for me until later uh, when you know maybe people who I cared about around me would say things like, you know, I you know I I pray for you that you'll that you'll find Jesus someday. I'm glad you're going to a church, but I pray mm-hmm. that you'll really find Jesus someday. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. that kind of like that's that's hurtful. Man, mm-hmm. I, I'll speak for myself. I'll say to me that that's it's hurtful to mm-hmm. say uh, whatever you believe isn't good enough. Like what in the world? Where, I don't know where people get that kind of nerve. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's what is so important. I'm kind of getting off track in yeah. your faith story, but I don't want to get back there. But it's so important. Four things like Columbine United Church, today I pray for you, between, mm-hmm. is that it it gives permission to people to doubt, yeah. to question, yeah. to heal, to step outside the norm of what we'll call evangelical and fundamentalism that really is condemning yeah. and puts people down and creates terrible wounds for people. Um, it, it gives, hopefully we're giving people the permission to heal yeah. by exploring their spirituality. Yeah. Okay, back, back, because I want to get back back to your story. Yeah. So you encounter Buddhism. Your world opens, begins to open up, which college does for people. Yeah. It's a great thing. Okay, what's next? Uh, I, I had this job right after college. My first job right after college, I was traveling for my college fraternity. I was like a consultant who traveled around the country in my car. It was not a glamorous job at all. It was living out of my 1997 Chevy Cavalier. But um, <laughs> one of the places that I lived out of that Chevy Cavalier was in the Northeast. I spent a lot of time driving in the Northeast one particular winter. And I was in Hartford, Connecticut. And I was working with students at the University of Hartford, but I didn't have anything to do one Sunday morning. And I don't know, something, I got curious, and I was like, ah, maybe I'll see if there's a church around here. 
no, I take that back. There was a there was a kid, there was a student who told me he was a Unitarian Universalist, oh. and I said, "What is that?" Like I really had just never heard of that before. And he said, I, "It's it's," and he tried to explain it to me, and I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." And he's like, "There's a there's actually a UU meeting place around here, a UU church around here," and I said. Okay, that's interesting. And then Sunday, that Sunday morning, I woke up and I'm like, I'm kind of curious about this. And I went to it. And it, I mean, this is like pure New England yeah. Unitarians, yeah. right? Like, like this is way back. Yeah, yeah. It's like born David there. Thoreau, Ralph Emerson. Emerson. Yeah, man. This yeah. is like this, this is, is the heart of it. There where they hung out. This is where they hung out. And so yeah. I'm, I go to this UU. It's and it wasn't a big place, but it was set up in a circle, and it was it looked different, felt different from the kind of church I'd experienced, and. Everything like I'm reading all the pamphlets as, as I'm going in. It's kind of like everybody's good and whatever you believe is okay. And and like you know, kind of it was a very, very different way of understanding faith for me. And so that I kind of adopted that right as people yeah. do in their in their youth. I, I was like, well, I think this is what I am. And so I started buying books. And I'm, I'm uh, there's a book called The Chosen Faith. I think mm-hmm. that is kind of a core book for mm-hmm. Unitarians as they sort of enter that world and. Man, I devoured that book. Just thought it was amazing. And there was a, some other books that I got into. And then a little uh, fast forward a little bit in my life. I, I should say I was reading stuff, but I wasn't going to a church. I wasn't like talking about it with a lot of people very often. It was just mostly like a personal, oh, this is an identity I could explore. I, I wasn't walking around with a badge on saying, look at me, everybody. I'm a Unitarian. But I was, I was enough into what I was reading that I thought, oh, this is close. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, I meet Megan, who's now my wife, and uh, but I meet her, and we get engaged. There's other stuff in there. There's a grad pro- grad school program that I got into that I've ended up failing failing out of at DePaul. But one of the classes that I took <laughs> this is confession. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forgive me, Father, for having wasted those tuition dollars. But the. Uh, 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 yeah, but but in that class, man, we studied Bonhoeffer, and we studied like we studied a bunch of like sort of sort of sort of classical Christian thinkers, right. Right. and I'm like, wow, this is interesting stuff. Like a guy writing from prison and all this stuff. Like this is cool stuff. Like digging into some of these other authors, anyway. But my wife and I, um, uh, or not my wife yet, Megan and I, uh, I, I guess maybe at some point while we're dating, or right after we got engaged. We're like, well, we're going to have to get married someplace. We were living in Chicago at the time, like downtown Chicago. Uh-huh. We're going to have to get married get married someplace. Let's find a church around here. And so we find Beverly Unitarian Church on the south side of Chicago in the in this tiny little Irish, like old Irish neighborhood of uh-huh. Chicago. Beverly Unitarian is literally built. This is awesome. It's it's the building, the physical building was built by some guy who came from Ireland and recreated a tiny castle that was on a river in Ireland for his love, for his betrothed or whatever. And they took over that, that, but it's basically a small house. And there was like a living room where we had our, you know, Sunday services and stuff. It's actually where I ended up getting married, uh, where Megan and I got married. And that might be another seminal moment for me, sort of faith formation wise, when I realized, wait, we could ask your dad, Megan's dad, who uh, had been a judge and a magistrate here in Colorado for a long time. We were like, we could ask your dad to marry us, and we could write our own ceremony. And when, like, writing our own wedding, not just vows, like the whole ceremony, like the screenplay, right? Like, we wrote the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And 
what a that was such a like you could do this and it was so meaningful like it was the perfect ceremony man i'm I'm sure if i rewind it today i'd be like what are we talking about but (laughs) in that moment it was so beautiful and it involved our family and it involved music that we chose that was secular music yes and it meant so much to us it was more god-filled than any wedding that i'd been to of my friends and i was in the season of going to weddings for my friends all the time right uh I don't know. That that was another just major moment for me that was that that just gave me permission. And I feel like all all this whole story is all little moments of more and more permission to experience faith in the way that makes sense for me. And also more and more moments of me realizing that every new person I encounter, and I'd traveled a lot and I got to know a lot of people, every new person I encounter understood faith in a different way. And if they can, then I can. And it doesn't have to be vanilla. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to fit into whatever box I happen to live closest to or whatever thing my parents went to just because they felt obligated to go to, right? That to me is – and now that I have kids, if there's anything I want to teach them about faith, it is that it is their own experience and Mm -hmm. it is their own – they can use their own words and their own understanding and their own their own translation of the big questions. That's that's all this is. I don't know if I'm making sense. Anymore, no, you're making perfect are. sense. I mean, so a couple of things that cross my mind is how significant a church body can be, or a church can be like the Unitarian Universalist. Yeah. As a if there's an organization that can free you mm-hmm. or free an individual to think, how powerful that is to propel somebody into the faith development. Instead of an organization or a church telling you what you can't believe, what you have to believe to be a part of the club, you know, then that's so stifling for so many people. I mean, that works for a lot of people. That works. Bless their hearts. But for so many people, it doesn't work. And when you have something like the Unitarian Universalist or Columbine United Church or Today or Pray for You or for Between. It can be something that's so freeing to help someone in their soul. Okay, you're married. Mm -hmm. You're late 20s, early 30s? Yeah, late 20s, early 30s. We lived in Chicago for a while. I was on the board of that Unitarian, Beverly Unitarian Church for a while. So you were there. Yeah, yeah, we were into it. You were into it. That's what I do. I say, yes, if I show up someplace, I'm going to weasel my way into being involved in it, and, and I did. And it was a rewarding experience. It was a really good experience. But then we moved. Um, we actually just first just moved out of the city. We moved out to the suburbs and tried mm-hmm. to keep driving down every Sunday, but just logistically it became difficult. And so we just stopped right. going to that church. We looked for a couple other churches out in, uh, out in the suburbs, didn't find anything. And so we just sort of, I think, pushed pause on our, our uh, you know, our having a church, having a, mm-hmm. a church home. Moved to Colorado in, I don't know, now, what, 15 years ago, 15 years or so ago from today. And uh, we got out here and looked around at a couple churches, had a couple really bad experiences, Mm. one like really conservative bad experience and one Unitarian bad experience Mm. that we were just like, oh, those aren't fit, right? And this is just about finding a church home. And then I remember coming here on Easter Sunday, the Easter Sunday right after your dad passed away. Mm. Um, that was my first encounter with Columbine United Church and sat in the way back with, with our little kids. We had little kids and um, 
and I think that's part of the reason we came. We, or we were searching for a church as we had kids, mm-hmm. and we didn't. That wasn't like, well, we want our kids to go to church. It was just like we need another part of our community. The spiritual longing for us was sort of tugging at us, and so we got to figure out a way to fill that fill that feeling that we had as young parents. And anyway, we came to that uh, that Easter Sunday, and uh, and your that sermon. I think it was so personal, and it, it was so. And there was something that was not – it wasn't about Jesus, and it was about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, absolutely enthralling to me. Mm-hmm. I, I left saying, that guy might be one of my favorite professional speakers I've ever seen in my life, which is what I do for <laughs> a living. And so I framed it in that frame, right? Like, that was a show. That's what I felt. And I didn't mean that in a – it was no, inauthentic or anything. I don't I, hear it as Yeah. I just think it's funny. Oh, man, I was just like, sign me up for that. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I loved it. I really loved it because it was so real and so just uh, threaded with real-life emotion and real-life – there was pain in there and there was hope in there and there was the resurrection for me, which never made any sense at all to me, suddenly made a new kind of sense. And uh-huh. you gave me permission to see – words like resurrection in a in a way that I could translate them into my life in a way that mattered. And that was just that experience alone just kind of sucked me in. And Megan too, we were we were we were bought, we were bought in. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm yeah. honored. Thank you. All right. Back up just a little bit. Yeah. Because um another huge part of your I think your development of your theology and your faith development was your word. Yeah. What you were doing professionally, mm-hmm. working on college campuses, doing public speaking, mm-hmm. you started two or three different businesses. Yeah. Touch a little bit on that and wind that in, because that is such an important part of your faith development. Yeah, it is. It really is. And it's, I feel like it's a long, I'm going to try to encapsulate it. I've spent most of my career, uh, I'm going to say three different phrases. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put three different concepts together. Number one. I believe I was put on this planet to help people gather together to talk about the important stuff of life. I said that one time to my business partner, and he was like, bro, like write that down. I think yeah, you just good. said something out loud yeah. that you're going to want to say every day for the rest of your life. And he was right. Yeah. I, I believe I was put on this planet to help people gather together to talk about the important stuff of life. Okay. Um, second second uh, thing I'll say is that my entire career has been focused on groups. Uh, I really believe in the power of groups. So uh, practically, that's looked like college fraternities and sororities, college student organizations, civic groups, nonprofit groups, you know, whatever, groups, churches, groups. Um, And my focus has been on helping those groups grow. But the reason isn't just because I like to help groups grow so they pay me money. The reason is that old Margaret Mead quote that goes, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That last line of that quote blows me away every time I even say it out loud to this day. The only thing that has ever changed the world is when a group of people get together around a purpose that they care about. That was uh, probably when I was probably about 23, 24. I had a moment of with my business partner, Josh, who's my best friend. And uh, I had a moment of like, oh, like that's what we're supposed to do, man. Like we're supposed to help people get together around a purpose that matters to them. That's it. That's what that's how we change the world. We change the world by helping other groups change the world. So those things mm-hmm. come together. The third thing I'll say is that at some point while we were teaching groups to grow and we were teaching recruitment systems and we were teaching 
skills and engineering a group growth system and process. Right. At some point, we had to we had this realization that we had to teach people not just what to do, but how to be. Right. Uh, we had right. to teach people that right. there is an art of human connection that mm-hmm. was required in order to really accomplish the things you wanted to accomplish in the world. And so we started teaching this concept that we later called social excellence, which is just like learning how to connect with people well, mm-hmm. learning how to connect with people well so that you can gather together around the things that matter to you. Like the, so that part matters, mm-hmm. but learning how to connect with people well, we call it social excellence. But that concept by itself, just that social, teaching people the art of human connection, teaching people how to have a real conversation, how to lean in and care, not social skills. Like I'm talking about a, a, a philosophy of how I approach a human interaction. That's what I've been teaching a whole, a long time. And I've always said that is like spiritual to me. Uh, I would say that to yeah, my business partner. Right. I'd say that to my colleagues. I'd be like, right. I don't, I don't think anybody else understands, but right. like, this is spiritual to me. This is, right. I think I'm teaching people like how to live. Like, like I think this is what all the great religions kind of point us to, or at least mm-hmm. is my understanding of it. Like this is spiritual to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that, that idea that I think I opened up with sort of the space between us is sacred. That right. line right is there. right there. That, right there. That's what it, where that's it right. came from, right? Like right. Th- this, these conversations, that's where, that's where everything comes to life. That's where all right. of our deepest beliefs manifest themselves is in the way that we interact with each other. That's all we are. Hum- humans are social animals. This is it. This is all we got is this right. conversation. This is our number one tool. This is how we survive and thrive as a species. And we forget that. And we're, we get not very good at it. And we get, you know, a lot of people are just really mediocre at it. And then they end up being lonely and disconnected. And I think, I think if we choose to connect with people in better ways, I think that could be spiritual in itself. So I think that's what I love about your work is because it, had a, it has such a sacred dimension to it. It was making money. You were no. making businesses. It was a very bi- uh, big business. You were flying all over the United States, flying all over the world, all over the United States. I, I'm a little international, but mostly all over the U.S., yeah, yeah. But you're speaking to small groups. You're speaking to groups of yeah. several thousand people. Yeah. You're talking about social excellence and helping people see this. And, and all the while, it's sacred. Yeah. It's sacred work to you. It's more than just um, a J-O-B. Yeah. It's your calling. Very much. It's my calling. And and figuring out – and I'll give you an example. Like, Well, I'll, I'll just say the amount of times somebody has just called locally and said, will you come like speak to my group? How much is it going to cost? Well, my answer, you know, my technical answer would be in the thousands of dollars. But I always just say, yeah, no, yes, I would like to be there. Please, can I do that? Like, there is a, I, I have a sense that the more I get to share this message with people, the better the world is. And this is this is what it means to. This is ministry. This is what it means to do God's work for better lang- for lack of better language, right? Like that. That's what it means. It, it feels that way to me when I do that work. When I teach people. When I teach people how to really connect, when I teach, when I remind people, they already know. When I remind people how to really connect, when I remind people how to really be human and how to really lean in and what it really feels like to give love and receive love and to to fill a space with care and intention, man, that's stuff that people don't feel very often anymore because our world makes us practice not feeling that. We look at our phones instead and we're worried about tasks instead and our, our calendars are busy instead. But Man, that's all we got is this space right here. All right. So 
your professional work blends with your growing spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, one of the terms that I like to use is we're sent. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, I really believe God sent Jesus. I mean, in John's gospel, he says it repeatedly that yep. he's been sent by God. And so I developed this whole concept that we're sent. Mm-hmm. All of us are sent. You can call that, you can, Christians like to call that calling. I like to be, call it sent. Mm-hmm. Just as you believe your purpose, you are on the planet Earth, I yeah. will say, I think God sent you. Mm-hmm. And that your job is to, to dedicate yourself to bring this purpose to fruition. Yeah. Do you feel like you're doing that? I do. I do. And I feel like uh, inadequate half the time. And I feel like I'm screwing it up most of the time. And I feel like Welcome nobody's listening. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I do feel like that. And I think it's important to say the other side of that coin is that sometimes I'm like, oh, nobody really cares. And uh, yeah. maybe maybe I'm just barking up the wrong tree. And I don't know. Every yeah. Sunday afternoon, I'm driving <laughs> home. I'm going, is anybody really listening? Yeah. Does anybody really care? Yeah. No, I think I think some of the play, anybody who's a creative, yeah. anybody who is trying to do something with their life yeah. and they hear a big, huge nothing, mm-hmm. that there's a, a sense of like, Am I just wasting my time? Yeah. There is no more lonelier place than the, I don't know, 12 hours after I've been on stage and (laughs) given my absolute all to the world. There is no more lonelier place than how I feel after that. Even if I crush it, I feel... Uh, I feel like I don't know. It is uh, it is an empty, lonely feeling there. That's hard to understand unless uh, unless you've created something and given yeah. it to the world. If, and if you're not a creative, if yeah. you're not creative, maybe you don't get it. But yeah. if you're someone who's put yourself out yeah. in any way, shape, or form, out in front of people, and you watch them fall asleep, yeah. uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing worse than that. No, All right, right. Okay, back to the thing. <laughs> All right, you come to Columbine. Mm-hmm. You have a vision. You're doing your professional work. But then something begins to take over for you mm-hmm. as a real burning desire, passion to take social excellence, this space mm-hmm. that we want to call that is between us is sacred, and to really do something with it, to drive it yeah. forward so that it becomes such a driving force in your life that it supersedes your, your professional work. I mean, I, I, this is just me watching you yeah. over the past years that it becomes something that you kind of think about. It's kind of there. Mm-hmm. You're passionate about it. Until something that's like, no, I have to do this. Yeah. Tell, talk about that. Yeah, I think uh, I think, I'll bet a lot of people go on a similar journey of you know you're supposed to do something in your life, but the only path to get there that you can see is a path that you don't really want to take and you don't feel like it's the right path to get there, but you know where you're supposed to end up. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, at some point, maybe it was after the first time you invited me to share a sermon here or one of the first times I got in, just involved in a committee here, something, right? Like, But there was a it reminded me of a, of a voice that I had heard for a long time, a sort of a quiet, whispering voice that the only way I could understand that voice was sort of, you're supposed to be a preacher. I, I think that was what I would have said, uh, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. And I didn't believe that. I didn't want to go to seminary. I didn't want to, like, nah, the, like the path to get there, I was not interested in that. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't really listen to that voice, although I, it was there always. And then it, it got louder and louder. And and I, the same problem. I didn't see any path to get. The only path to get there was go to seminary, become a pastor. Right. Like, right. It, just, it just didn't match up to what right. I really. Th- it's not for right. everybody. No, it's not the best path either. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast episode. I bet. But yeah. 
And but there was like uh, anyway. Th- here's what I'll say: conversations with you, but I also say especially conversations with Justin Spurlock, when, uh-huh. especially when he was working here. Yeah. He and I became really just good friends mm-hmm. uh, through a couple. You know, after a service one Sunday, I was like, you and I are about the same age. Let's go to a coffee sometime. And he said yes. And he was just being a good pastor. And then we just became good friends. But yeah, those guys. He he's is. A good guy. And the coffee shop, I swear, the coffee shop conversations I had, especially with Justin, probably over a three to five year period, there was uh, that that was the place where I really discovered, oh my gosh, like this really is sacred. A mm-hmm. one-on-one conversation over a cup of coffee for an hour and 15 minutes at a Starbucks, that is church, man. Like yeah, that is. is that is it. Yeah. And not content. Like it didn't. we didn't have to be talking about the Bible, although we did sometimes. And it, we didn't have to, no. It, what, we were talking about life. We were talking about life. We were talking about everything in life, parenting and and career and frustration with institutions it, like it just but that man that was church for me that was some of the best church i'd ever really had on a consistent basis and i think that experience might have been for sure i don't think that experience is what eventually gave me courage to say well maybe there are practical ways that i could do what I saw myself ending up as, you know, I called it a preacher in my head, but maybe there are practical ways I could do that work or do what I feel like I'm called to do without taking the path that seemed like it was in front. Maybe there are alternative paths to get there. And that's where I think some of the more recent stuff that I've been doing has sort of came from that permission that I felt in those coffee shop church moments. Does that make sense? That oh, makes perfect yeah. sense. So, again, it goes to back to, uh, one, what is church? Two, what is sacred? Mm-hmm. And the church is not something that happens on Sunday morning. Yeah. And you know, the whole notion of Jesus, wherever two or more are gathered and yeah. I, in my name, there I am also. Yeah. I mean, that uh, that sense of creativity and dynamic that happens between two people is fascinating. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to between and, and how you took that notion – of sacredness, your career work of social excellence that you were ex- exploring and developing professionally, and then the spiritual stuff that was happening on the other side of you, working yeah. with Justin, kind of discovering your own sense of of literally maybe a ministerial type of call, yeah. if you will, that, yeah. that was going parallel to your professional development that somehow brought you to a place where you really step out. Uh, I mean, you step out of some type of, I don't know if it's shell, because mm-hmm. Matt Matson doesn't really have a shell. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, but a something a, that you step into a platform yeah. where you say publicly, I'm, I'm going to do something. Yeah. I'm going to act on this sense of spirituality that I've had with Justin. Yeah. And I'm going to drive it into the future. I'm really going to become creative, and I'm going to really see what develops. Yeah. And you gave yourself a ton of permission. Yeah. And and now let's go where that yeah. went. So uh, for me, this is January of 2022, like not too long ago, right? right? But between December and January of 2022, a bunch of things happened in a really short amount of time. None of them would have looked like anything to an outsider. But like for me, uh, it was like Providence all like hammering down on me over and over and over in one sort of short window. Uh, I officiated my uh, my best friend Matt. Uh, he got married in uh, Cabo, which was 
uh, delightful and luxurious. Yeah, no but, kidding. Uh, if you have to go get married someplace, let's yeah, go to Cairo. Right, sure, yeah. yeah. I said, I'm not going to do it in Wisconsin where you live. But, <laughs> no. I, I got to officiate his wedding, which is one of the greatest honors in my life and, and uh, just loved doing it. And his uh, wife's family uh, come from sort of that West Michigan Christian roots. Uh, where near, they grew up near where I went to college, and they're wonderful people. And I was nervous. <laughs> I was nervous, and I think Matt and his fiance Tammy uh, were nervous for me as we were preparing <laughs> for the wedding. Like, I, it's going to be okay, man, but. Uh, just heads up. up it's a small audience and it's all basically my mom and a couple other people right like like just uh everybody was just a little nervous and rightfully so I, because they didn't i mean they know me but like i don't know once you walk in with a friend to faith stuff suddenly things are different if you're not going to church every every, every sunday together so uh they were anyway we get there and it goes awesome i mean it was a beautiful ceremony everything was perfect they they were fantastic i just got out of the way and uh, their kids were the stars of the show it was it was awesome and i i think you know this about me but uh i had told them before listen everything i'm gonna you know you guys know me i'm a professional speaker i can handle a stage in a moment like no problem but only one thing actually gets me nervous it's praying in public. <laughs> I don't know why, but I freak out anytime I got to pray in public. I don't know what it's – we'll unpack that drama sometime later. I don't know where it comes from, but I I get clammy and nervous and weird. And I think it's because a lot of people that I've seen pray around me that are that sort of pray publicly, you know, are – know all the cool words and phrases they know all the christianese they know all the yeah. the the right word packages to put here and there to make everybody feel like it's a real important prayer and i just don't know how to do any of this i talk like a regular person i think <laughs> and i told him listen so everybody will be God, bowing their heads so <laughs> I'll, i was like everybody who prays i'm just laughing yeah. go ahead go ahead keep like, on. they'll all be at the ceremony everybody will be their eyes closed and they'll be praying like good christians i just you know i'm, I'm reading a script during that part I just want you to know I'm reading the prayer that I wrote. So anyway, they're like, ah, ha, ha, it's fine. And, and it goes fine. And then afterwards, they don't have a reception. They, it's just a family, like a small, there's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 people there. It's all close family. And they have like, they have rented this house and they have a giant dinner afterwards. That's the reception is this dinner. A chef comes in and cooks a dinner. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome. But then who do you think they ask to give the blessing at dinner? So they turn and you know grandma's like, uh, Matt, do you want to you want to say the blessing? And I, I mean, I about peed my pants right there at that moment. Like, no, not really. I, I, I didn't. I didn't respond because I didn't have to. Because Jonah, Matt and Tammy's oldest, he's uh, he's graduated from college, but um, he grabs my hand and he's like, Matt, how about I say the blessing? Because he know he knew about me. He was like, how about I say the blessing? You just say amen. I said, brother. <laughs> That is the nicest gift anybody's ever given to me. Yes, please. And he does, He gives a nice, simple, beautiful blessing. And I say, amen. And everybody's happy. And we all eat Mexican food. And the, so that moment was really important. And that grace that Jonah showed me in that moment actually was a huge deal for me. That was like, uh, it was like this subtle, it's okay. You're, it's okay, man. You're welcome here. You don't have to act like we act. You can just be you. It's totally, like there was so much grace in that little gesture and it doesn't seem like much, but man, I will never forget it. I just thought it was awesome. And then uh, uh, 
uh, I was reading a book uh, that was really cool um, that 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 talked about prayer in this one section that I was just like, whoa, what is that? And then uh, and then uh, and then I had another coffee shop conversation with Justin that was another one of the where he just looked me in the eye. He was like, knock it off. He, Justin was like, you keep talking about you want to do just start something. Will you just start something? And I was like, okay. And I left. And by that night, I had started this project called Today I Pray, and which is just daily prayers on Instagram and Facebook with little devotionals that I write along with them. But the structure of those where I write Today I Pray for something and blah, blah, amen. Like it doesn't require any fancy words. It just it, and there's a way to start every prayer. Today I pray, and it's also given me permission to like write poetry and, oh, and to think in That's new gorgeous. ways. And this it's is a gorgeous. whole new creative expression for me. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I read your, I read your today I pray for you is every day at at noon. It's it's kind of my my noon devotional. And so one that insp- two. My first thought is, how the hell does he keep on coming up with this stuff? <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. That's my first thought. Yeah. And then two, I tapped into the spirituality of it. Mm-hmm. And they're beautiful. They're universal prayers that, that anybody of any faith background can read the prayers. And it's like, and I can see, because I know part of your story, yeah. I can see how, th- that's why I wanted you to tell the story. Yeah. Because these prayers are this fulfillment yeah. of, of your whole life yeah. to this point. It's, yeah. I really see your life coming to a unique apex that is going to be a launching point for something exciting that i really think that there's this is a launching point and we're seeing something that's going to be developing over the next five years i think is going to be a watershed moment for christendom for people who are disenfranchised with the church that that i i think Everything you've gone through to this point is is a launching point for. The, so enough of that. Yeah. How do you sign up for today? I pray for you. Yeah. So, so we should probably talk about the what today I pray has turned into. And okay. when you sign up for that thing, you sign up for today I pray too. Okay. So it's, um, so today I pray started in January. I'm not even 365 days into this project. About 310 days, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I knew it would turn into something else. I knew it would grow into something. That's just mm-hmm. what I do. And and I think doing the Today I Pray project, like having giving myself a public spiritual identity where I wasn't afraid to let my family and friends know that this is stuff I care about and this is how I think about it. And I welcome everybody into it. Uh, you know, I wasn't trying to convince anybody or, or change anybody. I just welcome everybody into it. That's sort of the ethic of that Today I Pray project. Um I think that plus this, you know, drive inside me that is social excellence, human connection mm-hmm. is spiritual. Uh, I think finally, uh, when those two things were together at once, and I had time to work on something new, that's when I r- really created this new project called Between. So to sign up, go to Between Church. Let me describe what Between is. Between yeah. is is a part of today. I pray it's growing out of today. I pray it's mm-hmm. connected. It's the same DNA. Um, but between essentially is like a, yeah, like you said earlier, a digital ministry, um, but not overly complicated. It's kind no, of it's a, really simple. it's kind of a five minute Sunday sermon video and some other, you know, occasional inspirational content that is faith based. And it's all about helping people 
get better at creating sacred moments of human connection, creating coffee shop church moments, creating mm-hmm. this space right here, and thinking mm-hmm. about the way they fill their space as being a sacred opportunity in their lives. Um, yeah, that's so between dot church is where people sign up for it. And we're, we're in the pre-launch phase right now. By early 2023, we'll have this thing launched and there will be weekly sermons shared with people. I'm excited to welcome in a bunch of voices. I may even open up the door to anybody who wants to share a, a five-minute sermon to, to do that, you know, sort of within the guidelines and the principles and the mm-hmm. ethics and uh, of, of the project. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about it because it is – uh, you're right, a culmination of me giving myself permission over many, many moments across my life to find a way to live out that calling, live out the reason I was sent right. in a creative way. Like it does, it's not anybody else's path. It's just that I'm trying to create a new, you know, a new mark in the way that I that I approach things. So, uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm really excited about that part of the project. Okay, so you go to Between Dot Church. Yep. That signs you up for today, I pray for you. Yeah, if you go to between.church, you're going to just click on sign up. There's like 55 buttons mm-hmm. on that side that say, that say sign up because right. all we really want you to do is sign up. That's It's super easy. It doesn't cost anything. You, you give me your name and your email address, and there's an optional. Tell us a little bit about you, but you don't have to. Just your name and email address. And what that starts to do is starts to feed you email content. Uh, and that email content, there's a ton of videos. And again, eventually there will be weekly five-minute sermons every Sunday sent to you. Um, but it also connects you with our social media content, which is all from Today I Pray. So our daily prayers on social media. So on Instagram and Facebook, if you just search for Today I Pray for You, uh, you'll find that there. And it's all connected to between. It's all the same project. It's all just sort of wrapped into the same thing now and pointing in the same direction. On YouTube, if you search for between.church, you'll be able to find this content on YouTube as well. And there's already, I think we already got a dozen videos up or something like that full full of content about the sacred space between people. A lot of it's just promotional content to try and get more people to sign up, but that's really what it is. That's that's what it's all about. See, for me, what I really believe about this um, is that uh, for me, Sunday Sunday morning is good, but it's not enough. Yeah, um, it's not enough for me personally. Yeah, I mean, even though I'm the one who's preaching and everything, my soul gets really pretty dry come Wednesday. Yeah. And that's why, like, I started doing these Wednesday shout-outs. Mm-hmm. There's more way for me to give expression to kind of what I feel. Because I think it's not enough. We yeah. need something to drive us throughout the week. And, like, so I'm constantly looking for something that I can do for five minutes at lunch during the day. So yeah. when you started doing Today I Pray For You, I went, oh, this is perfect. Yeah. This, it takes a mi- not even a minute to read the, the prayer, then your little devotion that goes with it. And that's like a little kind of drink of water. Yeah. And then, so I want to really encourage people to do that because it, it is. It's that kind of spiritual drink of water in the middle of the day. Yeah. You can write it on Facebook. You can see it on Facebook. You can see it on Instagram. You can see it now on, in between. And then between builds on that. That's right. And becomes a midweek worship gathering yeah. with thousands of people Hopefully, yeah. eventually, it's oh, going to. Yeah. I mean, the the goal is a million. Stephen, the first week, like the first week, I didn't before we even announced it. I put out a little personal friends and family announcement uh-huh. just on my own social media. In that first week, I mean, it wasn't like millions of people, but it was I don't know, 
50, 60 people or so signed up. But what was interesting about that was that there were people, I've got connections, as it turns out, we're connected to people all over, right? And there were people signed up in the Philippines. There were people signed up in Eastern Europe. Somebody, I didn't even know, I don't know who that was, but like, like, like Baltic states. Uh, and then somebody else, uh, I saw somebody actually who was a member of Columbine, but is like studying abroad right now. And they're in, right. they're in Europe someplace. Right. And they messaged me. They're like, oh, I signed up for this. This looks awesome as a, as a way to stay connected. And I, was, I genuinely think there is potential for us to have millions of people all over the world thinking about how can I create a moment of sacred connection in my life this week? All together, all the same week. Like, I really think that's something we can share with the world. Uh, and we can do it in a way that doesn't require them to adopt my theology or your theology or our church's. We can say, bring whatever faith stuff you're bringing to the table and understand what we're talking about here through your own lens, through your own experience. Because, by the way, everybody does that anyway. But you have permission to do that. And then you have permission to go back out into the world and connect with people in more meaningful ways, more more ways that feel like God is there in the center of that conversation with you. And I mean, I get really excited about what that could become. Because it's like, with their, hopefully what they'll see is that it's not only between Sunday, Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. It's not only between noon to noon, yeah. but it's when every time you meet somebody, yeah. there is that sacred opportunity, that space, man, it goes all the way back. To social excellence. It goes back to all of what you were trying to do with your with your business, working with students, working on college campuses, uh, helping people, helping young people develop that sense of sacred space. And now we're taking it, we're baptizing it. And we're really saying that That's this right. we're taking your notion this is something spiritual and we're making it really spiritual. Yeah. And helping people see that the spiritual is alive. And literally every single relationship, not just what happens on Sunday morning, yeah. but the opportunity to make that space between people a sacred space. Yeah. That's why I'm really excited about it. And I think that I really think this thing has legs. Mm-hmm. That's why I want people at Columbine United Church, I want people at Grace Presbyterian Church, I want people at New Hope. Hopefully all three of those churches will listen to this podcast. But I want the news I want the word to get out. Yeah. Because I think that this is a serious message for the masses to hear. And I want people on board with this. And it'd be exciting for them to be on the first tier level of this development and watch it grow and take place right here among them in the space between. That's right. That's exactly right. right. Closing, closing thought. Well, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. This has. This has been a lot of fun. This has been really cool. Boy, you, you really took me on a – I did not expect to do, like, my life story. <laughs> um, and that was a different life story. I, I was thinking, I'll bet my wife is going to listen to this, and she's going to learn two different new things about me, that like <laughs> stuff that I just don't really talk about. But uh, And isn't that the point? Uh, uh-huh. I think there is – I – I've been on a few podcasts in the last few weeks just talking about this project. And uh, I've often, we didn't get to do it today, but this is this whole conversation has been a good example of it. But I've often asked people, like, what's the last conversation you had when it felt like God might have been there with you or however you understand that idea? And that question, man, like that question opens stuff up. That question, that question reveals real moments that people have had that have been so important. And I think 
I mean, just this has been a real fun conversation, but this has also been a conversation that's been really important. And this isn't new. You and I have talked about this before, but the energy that we were able to bring to this conversation, I think, matters a lot to me. It means a lot to me. And I just, I don't know, I just appreciate it, Steve. I really do. This is good. Well, Matt, thank you very much. And thank all of you for listening to the Cowboy Jesus podcast. I know we've kind of stretched on here a little bit, but hopefully you felt the same thing that, that Matt and I have felt, a lot of energy and excitement about faith, about spirituality, about the future. Um, and uh, I really believe in you, Matt, and in your leadership of this. I'm excited to kind of get on board with you. All right, everybody. Today I pray for you between dot church meet us on the internet hey thanks for listening you can read my blog cowboy jesus that's published on fridays you can also catch us online on instagram and facebook lots of things are happening here at columbine united church and again thank you columbine united church for making the space for this podcast to happen all right take care (laughs) 